is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, California. Today will determine whether you save yourself. Whether you save your liberty, your private property. Whether you save your homes. Whether you save your state. Today we'll make that determination. They brought out all the Democrat reprobates, average age of about 117, all extraordinarily white, in fact, I would say transparent, to use racist tirades against a man who would be the first African-American governor of the state of California, because the Democrats have no intention of electing such a person, Larry Elder. Newsom is a buffoon and he's a fool, but apparently Democrats like buffoons and fools. Apparently they like tyranny. But the truth is, with such a large percentage of immigrants, most recent immigrants in the state of California, two-thirds of whom vote Democrat, and paid off people on the dole, and government union types, um, it's a tough battle. But the people who aren't on the doll, who aren't on the take, who are not part of the public sector, you've got to speak out and you've got to act as quickly as you possibly can. You have a few hours left and that's it. To save your state, to save your lifestyle, to save your liberty. That's what it's about. So much to get to. I will have two guests I don't normally. In the next hour, the Attorney General of Arizona... Who, uh, who has already filed the first suit against these mandates. And in the third hour, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, who, uh, who was quite effective today in dealing with uh, what is a squirrely, loathsome Secretary of State, quite frankly. So what is going on in Afghanistan? The Taliban is business-like? No, the Taliban is terrorist-like. And apparently there's a report that they've already executed 
a sniper who worked for the United States military. And then there's this from the Times of London. Taliban death squads hunt anti-terror units. Information left behind by the security services may be allowing the regime to find and kill agents they used to fear. Taliban death squads have hunted down and killed at least four elite Afghan counterterrorism agents in the past three weeks. In one case, pulling out all the victim's fingernails before shooting him. Which brings me to George W. Bush, oddly enough. How many people had their fingernails pulled before they were executed on January 6th, President Bush? How many killer squads, death squads, were sent out on January 6th, beyond and before President Bush? You did something that will forever taint you among tens of millions of Americans who voted for you. You made the moral equivalence between people on January 6th and terrorists who slaughtered nearly 3,000 Americans on 9-11 and have slaughtered other Americans at different occasions throughout recent decades and who are plotting today to slaughter as many of us as possible. That's a disgrace. Islamic jihadism supports terrorism in our country, in every country. Look at ISIS. Look what's happened to Syria. Look what's happened to Libya. Look what's happening in Yemen. Look what's happened in Iraq. Look what's happening in Afghanistan. And you dare to draw an equivalency because you want good headlines, you want liberals slobbering all over you. It is, it is shameless what you did. You're quiet all through the riots and the killings and the assaults of last summer. You say virtually nothing. One of your best friends is Michelle Obama who supports a rabid, radical, American Marxism agenda? Do you not what's, see what's happening in this country? I listen to him. I listen to Chris Christie. The Republican establishment, ladies and gentlemen, is a disaster and a disgrace. I have a piece in front of me, which I want to share with you. It doesn't fit neatly into one category or another, but it's important. And in all places, it's in the Washington Compost by Spencer S. Su, H.S.U. Second U.S. judge questions constitutionality of lead felony charge against Oath Keepers in Capitol Riot. So let's see if I can explain this without being accused of being a Nazi, even though I'm Jewish. This is in the Washington Compost. A second federal judge in Washington questioned whether the lead felony charge leveled by the government against Capitol riot defendants is unconstitutionally vague, as 18 Oath Keepers accused in a conspiracy case urged the court on Wednesday to toss out a count carrying one of the heaviest penalties against them. U.S. District Judge Amit P. Mehta, M-E-H-T-A, appointed by Obama, asked how federal prosecutors distinguish felony conduct qualifying as obstructing official proceeding, a felony offense, of Congress 
punishable by up to 20 years in prison. For misdemeanor offenses, the government has charged others with, such as sounding to interrupt a congressional hearing. Judge Mehta said, essentially, what you said is trust us. And that is a real problem when it comes to criminal status, to suggest we know it when we see it, and we'll pick and choose when it's appropriate exercise of prosecutorial discretion. At issue is a statute the Justice Department has applied against at least 235 defendants accused of corruptly disrupting Congress's certification of the 2020 Electoral College vote. Prosecutors have brought the obstruction charge in many of the most notorious cases, and by the way, not in the most notorious cases. They're bringing against people who never even entered the Capitol building, who were on the Capitol grounds, demanding, this is what's going down, demanding that they plead guilty to a federal misdemeanor of trespass without the right to appeal. Or they're going to drag them through a full trial and charge them with this felony. And this is what these judges are talking about. Wait a minute. You almost never do this in other cases. You almost never do this in other cases. So people who believe they're innocent pleading guilty because they either don't have the funds or they fear a 20-year sentence... And these judges are saying, you haven't done this before. Now, we're not talking about cases of straight-up assault, you know, where you're assaulting a police officer. We're not talking about that. You're talking about people who haven't assaulted anybody, including people who are on the grounds and not in the building. Prosecutors have brought the obstruction charge in many of the most notorious cases, including against members of the Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, and three percenters groups, I don't know who most of these are, who allegedly conspired and prepared in advance for violence. The government, wait a minute. I thought the FBI put out a report on a Friday, Mr. Producer, saying there's no evidence of insurrection. Didn't they? There's no evidence of insurrection. The government has also leveled the charge against scores of individuals not accused of attacking police or destroying property, there you go, but facing some of the most egregious allegations, such as occupying the Senate chamber, sitting in the vice president's chair, and targeting government officials. But they're also, if that's not bad enough, bringing against individuals who did no such thing. They say prosecutors have sought to distinguish such acts from protest-related civil disobedience, that rarely results in prison time, a more politically charged offenses such as sedition. But defendants in at least eight cases have moved to dismiss the count. They assert the joint House and Senate session that met January 6th does not qualify as an official proceeding of Congress, that the law is unconstitutionally vague on its face or as applied, or that it does not cover individuals' alleged illegal actions, among other things. And it goes on. And it goes on. Now, you want to hear about an insurrection? Bob Woodward and Robert Acosta will have a book out next week. The way Woodward does these things is he's able to shake down public officials, put the story out on CNN or the Washington Post or both, then every single media platform picks it up. And this is his second or third book trying to trash President Trump. And it's going to be a massive bestseller. Huge bestseller. Because that's how Woodward does what Woodward does. Here is my confusion. If you're a journalist, and you have special information about 
news events that have taken place, why aren't those appearing in the Washington Post? Robert Costa is a journalist, so-called, for the Washington Post. Why do they wait for a book? Seriously, I'm not a journalist. I don't have a newspaper that I write for. I don't write gossip. I write about theory and philosophy and activism. So it's a book called Peril. It's, shot, it's shooting to the top of the list. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's pushing it. And this is how Woodward gets where Woodward gets. He holds back information. Costa holds back information. Others of these so-called journalists hold back information until they do a big book. Which is kind of strange. So I don't buy books like this. At the same time, about a week or two later, you have this Stephanie Griffin coming out with a book. Who was press secretary to the first lady, press secretary to the president, then back to press secretary to the first lady. And they're leaking stuff out of there. Oh my God, we've got more private information about the family and so forth. On who? Trump. And Melania. And the family. And the staff. Disloyal. No character or morality whatsoever. And that's being pumped. Meanwhile, the Democrats are close to transforming this nation into something you won't recognize. We have American citizens, hostages overseas. The border's wide open with hundreds of thousands a month coming into this country. With COVID and other illnesses. They're going to bankrupt this country. They want to pack the Supreme Court. And this is what we focus on. This is what we focus on. For September and October. It's shameless. And so you have Washington Post reporter Isaac Stanley Becker. Now what kind of reporter is this Isaac Stanley Becker? He's being handed, spoon-fed, cherry-picked parts of this book written by Woodward and Costa with obviously the most provocative information that they can provide. And this becomes a news story from two news guys who are supposed to reporting it as a matter of course, as a matter of routine. So this is now a news story. This is exactly what Daniel Borstein, former director of the Library of Congress, professor at Chicago, meant by pseudo-events. This has no news. Now they're going to say the substance of the book is newsworthy. But if the substance of the book is newsworthy, why didn't they report it earlier? Now they haven't here. Twice in the final months of the Trump administration, the country's top military officer was so fearful that the president's actions might spark a war with China that he moved urgently to avert armed conflict. In a pair of secret phone calls, General Mark A. Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, assured his Chinese counterpart, General Li Zixiang, of the People's Liberation Army, that the United States would not strike, according to a new book by Washington Post associate editor Bob Woodward and national political reporter Robert Costa. He's an associate editor. Costa's a political reporter, and they save it for a book. One call took place October 30, 2020, another one January 8, 2021. Now, if this is newsworthy, the news element here isn't Trump, it's Milley. It's Milley who tried to leave an insurrection. It's Milley who tried to lead a coup, a military dictatorship. There was no reason to warn the Chinese 
or be fearful that Trump would use nuclear weapons? None whatsoever. None. Why would Woodward and Bernstein, I mean, Woodward and Costa sit on this for month after month after month? Sit on it. When this same General Milley was in charge of what took place in Afghanistan just now. When he should have been removed. Should have had his stars taken from him. Should have been kicked on the ass out the back door. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. When you read well into the Washington Compost piece, it has this statement. Peril is the name of the book. The authors say is based on interviews with more than 200 people, conducted on the condition they not be named as sources. Exact quotations or conclusions are drawn from the participant in the described event. A colleague with direct knowledge of relevant documents, according to an author's note, Trump and Biden declined to be interviewed. How do they get away with this? Interviews with more than 200 people? As long as they not be named as sources? 200 people as long as they're not named as sources? Is this fiction? Is it non-fiction? What exactly is this? But if there is a, an ounce of truth to it, this guy, Millie, should be brought up on charges. Absolutely. I'll be right back. Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. The idea that Donald Trump was thinking of nuking China is so preposterous. I think this book is a fraud. This book, Peril. What do you think of that, Mr. Producer? I don't have any doubt that Millie did some of the things that, uh, that they say. But the idea that they were concerned that Donald Trump was going to nuke China. Does anybody believe that? Anybody believe that? I think the psycho here is the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, if this is true. But we don't know if it's true because there are 200 people who didn't want to be identified. 200? Who writes a book like this? Woodward. Woodward. 
Speaking of books, Elizabeth Warren, this is Fox News, Tyler O'Neill. Elizabeth Warren asked Amazon to suppress books with COVID-19 misinformation. I think Elizabeth Warren was born about 100 years too late, Mr. Producer. I wonder if she speaks fluent German. I'm just curious. Fox Business, Stuart Varney, which has nothing to do with this, excuse me, that's part of the... Senator Elizabeth Warren sent a letter to Amazon CEO Andy Jassy demanding that Amazon use its algorithm to throttle the sale of books she characterized as spreading COVID-19 misinformation. Well, since the government is doing a lot of that, what does she think of that? Oh, that's okay. After pulling up search results on Amazon for various COVID-19 and vaccine-related terms... Warren's team claimed many of the books they came up were based on falsehoods about COVID-19 vaccines and cures, including those written by the most prominent spreaders of misinformation. This pattern and practice of misbehavior suggests that Amazon is either unwilling or unable to modify its business practices to prevent the spread of falsehoods or to sell inappropriate products, an unethical, unacceptable, potentially unlawful course of action from one of the nation's largest retailers. You understand the American Marxism movement opposes free speech. You understand that, right? We get an example about every day. At a time when every step towards ending the pandemic could save countless lives, misinformation poses a substantial obstacle. So you're going to round up Fauci and the others, Warren? Now, nobody will confront her on her totalitarian viewpoint. Nobody. Because she's an American Marxist, in my opinion. Therefore, she can't possibly oppose free speech. It's you right-wing nuts who oppose free speech. Warren faulted Amazon's algorithm for seeming to promote the book The Truth About COVID-19, Exposing the Great Reset, Lockdowns, Vaccine Passports, and the New Normal. The book written by Joseph Mercola and Ronnie Cummins, bestseller. The book asserts vitamin C, vitamin D, quercetin, supplements sold on Mercola's website can prevent COVID-19. I don't know what the guy's pushing. I never heard of this guy. Honestly, I never heard of his book. But I have heard of Liberty. Who cares about this? For a United States senator to reach into Amazon and say, you need to start banning books? Banning books, pulling down monuments, changing words. This is the totalitarian mindset of the American Marxist movement, of which Elizabeth Warren is an outspoken member, whether she denies it or not. She wants to undermine, circumvent the constitutional, attack free speech, as I say, over and over and over again. And you can see the alliance, the fusion between big government, big tech, and big mouths, like Elizabeth Warren. You can see this. This constant effort to undermine our constitutional system. Oh, that's misinformation, they say. Everything that comes out of Elizabeth Warren's mouth is misinformation. Everything. This is just a big effort to devour your liberty. And it's literally coming from leaders of the Democrat Party. Literally. Leaders of the Democrat Party. And the media are all for it. 
The media have no problem with it. None whatsoever. It's okay. Because they support the same thing. As I say, they write books that if they're newsworthy should be on the, in their newspapers in a timely manner, but they save it all up. And then you read this thing in the middle of the article, well into this very, very long article promoting Woodward and Costa, their two so-called reporters for the Washington Post. CNN jumps in. Everybody jumps in. They interviewed some 200 people, none of them on the record. Not one. Not one. But that's okay. Because they're trashing Trump. Do you know how many hate Trump books there have been just in the last few months? One, two, three, five. Five of them since my book's been out, Mr. Producer, right? Five of them. Including by three different, I think it's four different Washington Post reporters. Maybe two of them were with the New York Times. I confuse them. They're very, very similar, as you can imagine. There have been five this summer. Two more coming. Excuse me. Three this summer, two coming, one next week, and one in October. Isn't that amazing? And that's the news. Now, if General Milley did what's asserted in the, in the book with the unnamed sources, I cannot believe that these two so-called reporters sat on it for months. And that same general, that same general was responsible for Afghanistan. And that same general went behind Trump's back to Nancy Pelosi. That same general twice called his communist Chinese counterpart to say, don't worry, we have it under control, Trump's not going to do anything, and that he wouldn't allow it, and that other generals needed to give him a heads up before they would act. Is that true or false? We have no idea. Because nobody's on the record. i got to figure out how to write a book like that, Mr. Producer. Although, why waste my time? I'd be curious to know what you think about this. I really would. If what's in the book is true, this man should be court-martialed, thrown out of the military, the dishonorable discharge, and perhaps charged with sedition. That's your real insurrection. And I hope to hear other generals speak out. If it's not true, then these two authors, with their unnamed anonymous source, 200 of them, 200 of them, should be sued out of existence. Should be sued out of existence. So I don't know if this is a fiction or a non-fiction, this book. It's almost impossible to know. And it's interesting how none of these people ever want to answer. Well, I'm not going to answer leaks. I'm not going to answer on, you know, uh, anonymous sources. I'm not going to answer. They never have to answer. So we have a number of issues here, really. My biggest concern is this guy, Millie. I told you before. There's something about this guy that's awfully wrong. He's unhinged. Gets up there, he lies to the American people over and over again. On his watch, we leave American citizens behind. What kind of general is that? So there's a lot of questions here. 
So the book will have legs because everybody's going to want to talk about it. 200 anonymous sources. By the way, I'll be on Hannity tonight on the Fox News channel. It's 9, what is it, 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope you'll join us. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. And this is what you get from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the rest of them. Just a reminder. Just a reminder. Page 199, American Marxism. In his 1927 book, Propaganda. Excuse me, Propaganda Technique in the the World War. Harold Dwight Loswell describes propaganda as a tool used by the press and others, cloaked as learning and wisdom. Cloaked as learning and wisdom. He says, propaganda is a concession to the rationality of the modern world. A literate world, a reading world, a schooled world prefers to thrive on argument and news. It is sophisticated to the extent of using print. And he that takes to print shall live or perish by the press. All the apparatus of diffused erudition popularizes the symbols and forms of pseudo-rational appeal. Stick with me. The wolf of propaganda does not hesitate to masquerade in sheepskin. All the voluble men of the day, writers, reporters, editors, preachers, lecturers, teachers, politicians, are drawn into the service of propaganda to amplify a master voice. All is conducted with the decorum and trappings of intelligence, for this is a rational epic and demands its raw meat cooked and garnished by adroit and skillful chefs. Get his point? Then there's Hannah Arendt, and she wrote a very, very famous book, at least for some, The Origins of Totalitarianism. And she said, Totalitarian propaganda can outrageously insult common sense only where common sense has lost its validity. In other words, people in a culture or society in decline which ceases to be a unifying and civil society, and where the just social order unravels are highly susceptible to believing and following dangerous fictions, even if they lead to their own demise. She wrote, Before they seize power and establish a world according to their doctrines, totalitarian movements conjure up a lying world of consistency, which is more adequate to the sheer imagination. Uprooted masses can feel at home and are are spared the never-ending shocks which real life and real experiences deal to human beings and their expectations. The force possessed by totalitarian propaganda, before the movements have the power to drop iron curtains to prevent anyone's disturbing by the slightest reality, the gruesome quiet of an entirely imaginary world, lies in its ability to shut the masses off from the real world. The only signs which the real world still offers to the understanding of the unintegrated and disintegrating masses whom every new stroke of ill luck makes more gullible. The questions it does not care to discuss publicly, or the rumors it does not dare to contradict. This is the nature of the Woodward books, and it's not just him. It's the nature of the American media, ladies and gentlemen. We are, we are being surrounded by totalitarian impulses and forces. I just told you about Elizabeth Warren. 
And she's not alone. Joe Biden is the closest to a dictator we have come in modern times. And yet there is a juggernaut in support for these sort of things. You're seeing what's going on in California. We have a governor in Newsom who's one of the most dictatorial ever. And yet many people will vote for him. And um, the problem is, you see in many of these totalitarian regimes throughout world history, people acquiesce to this. Or they even celebrate it. And you're experiencing that. You can see the people around you right now. They are willing to live the big lie. They believe the big lie. Even though their own experience tells them otherwise. Even their own experience tells them otherwise. But they want to believe. They want to believe. How many people have you come across? Who say, I, you know, I don't think Biden handled that. I, I don't think this. I don't think that. But, you know, Trump. I'm voting, you know, I'll vote Democrat. That's a, there's a lot of people like this. There's a lot of people who go to accountants and try and find ways to pay as little in taxes as possible. But vote for people who want to raise taxes. Because they think that's a good thing. Except for them. They live the big lie. They want to believe in the big lie. If they really look in the mirror, and they really think about themselves, they realize how superficial they are, how detached they are. And they're not prepared to do that. They're not prepared to do that. So when Elizabeth Warren comes out and says, you know, Amazon should start banning a lot of books if they don't, you know, if these books don't toe the the government line on this, that, or the other medicine and so forth, People support her, or they ignore her. Either way, it's very dangerous. Every time the Democrats don't get their way on Capitol Hill, they talk about packing the Supreme Court and eliminating the filibuster rule. The whole purpose of that is to destroy separation of powers and and to create a quasi-totalitarian country. And yet there's no pushback in the media, because the media are corrupt. The media agree with them. And that's a huge problem. So I just point that out to you. It's like this book, Peril. It'll be a huge bestseller. 200 anonymous sources. Or sources that don't want to be named. Well, is it fiction or nonfiction? And does it really matter? No, no, no. Not to the Washington Post. Not to so many people out there. It won't matter at all. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. 
End symptom-based quarantine. Keep our kids in school, says Dr. Marjorie Smelkinson at a Montgomery County, Maryland school board meeting. Let's take a listen. Cut 17, go. I'm Dr. Marjorie Smelkinson, and I'm an infectious disease scientist and have four elementary school students. Last Thursday, most of my son's grade was quarantined because of one COVID-like symptom. Not a COVID case, just a headache. Quarantines based on symptoms will result in our kids sacrificing yet another year of, of their education to ridiculous and unscientific policies. This policy put a thousand kids into quarantine in just four days. It is the strictest in the nation and goes far beyond CDC and state recommendations. Again, we are a national outlier. Why have you placed so little value on in-person education? Why are you adhering to a policy that will continue to needlessly keep kids out of school? Your misguided approach also puts the burden on one family to test their kid to end the quarantine for the whole class. Some parents may not be willing to get a test or have the job flexibility or resources to do it quickly. The inevitable consequence of this insane policy is that lower income students will get fewer days of live instruction. End symptom-based quarantines immediately. Instead, use on-site rapid antigen tests on students with COVID-like symptoms. If they're negative, let them stay. If positive, implement a test to stay program instead of quarantining the whole class. This involves daily testing of close contacts for a week and keeping them in school as long as they test negative. Other states are using this as an alternative to quarantining and ensures that only those infected stay home. Last year, you ignored scientific evidence, played politics, and provided some of the least live instruction in the country. This year, be brave and prioritize our children. The state has tests. Get them, use them, and do whatever it takes to keep our kids in school. She's hardly an imbecile. She's an expert on infectious diseases. Fauci's not the only one, even though he's held on to his position for four decades. You see, what's really happening, ladies and gentlemen, is you and I, we believe in science. We believe in statistics. We believe in data. We believe in human reasoning and logic. It is the people who use all of that, claim that they support it, and then name-call you as a denier or whatever it is, who do not. There are simple questions out there that they can't answer and won't answer. Why would a person with natural immunity, antibodies, have to be vaccinated? The science says they don't. Fauci refused to answer that question the other day when he was confronted on television. If this is an emergency situation requiring OSHA of all outlier agencies to use authority it doesn't have to compel all businesses, all organizations with 500 more employees to ensure that their people are either vaccinated or tested, then how can that same administration, that very same Fauci, that very same Biden, not compel testing and vaccinations for everybody who touches foot in the United States of America, especially illegal aliens from other countries, third world countries, 
where we know they're not vaccinated. That makes sense to nobody. That makes no sense at all. But they won't discuss it. They won't explain it. The study I discussed with you the other day from the Atlantic magazine, I'm not even a fan of that magazine, but the Atlantic magazine pointed out hospitalizations have been used as a key measure. But now we find a, a, a significant percentage of the people who are hospitalized. What? Have a minor effect. There's a minor effect from the virus. Or they didn't come into the hospital because they had a virus in the first place. They're tested as a matter of course. Or they're asymptomatic. And so they keep talking about the number of hospitalizations, hospitalizations, because everybody who has COVID, it's a life and death situation, but it's not. It's simply not. And so the hyper, you know, fear that is created always is intended to empower what and whom. The doctors? No. Parents? No. The government. And we don't trust the government because the government attacks our free speech, Elizabeth Warren. The government works with big tech to quiet and silence certain individuals and groups. Again, an attack on free speech. Our colleges and universities don't believe in academic freedom unless you have one viewpoint. I mean, I can go on and on and on. The lies are endless. Even lied about the end of the the Afghanistan war. It's constant. It's constant. So here's Fauci on the morning schmo today. He'll only go where he's celebrated. Nowhere else. Cut 18, go. The other component that in many respects is equally important is that it isn't all about you. If you get infected, even if you don't have any symptoms... It is likely that you will pass the virus on to someone else who might pass it on to someone else who might have a severe outcome. Who might, and this one might, and that one might. So, Schmo is too stupid to ask the question. Okay, got it. How many of those who are unvaccinated have natural immunity, the antibodies? How many? You will not find it on the CDC side. I've been telling you this for how long, Rich? Two weeks now? At least two weeks. You can't find it. So, Fauci, how many, what, how many people are we really talking about here? Cut 19, go. You can't get on a plane without having some kind of proof that you're negative. It seems to me crazy that a year and a half into this, you can still, I can still get on a plane to Boston or California and nobody's going to check me. Do you think that needs to change? She sounds like an Aussie. And in Australia, they have anything but a free country right now. Anything but. So there's this constant pressure. It's from the media working with the government to destroy liberties. To destroy liberty. It's really quite remarkable. So is there an outbreak on airplanes of the coronavirus or the Delta variant? Particularly on Delta Airlines. But seriously. No. There's not an outbreak. There's not an outbreak. They clean those jets from top to bottom. 
inside out. People wear masks on the plane. They're ordered to wear a mask. They do. And doesn't that demonstrate the opposite of what she's talking about, America? That there you no doubt have people who are vaccinated, people who aren't vaccinated, people who probably have the antibodies, people who may not. And we're not having an outbreak. Here's an enclosed plane. I flew from California, round trip. Over the weekend, my wife and I, we had to do the same thing about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. There's no outbreak of the coronavirus in the airline industry, not among the pilots, not among the flight attendants, not among the passengers. How can that be? Doesn't that prove the opposite? Go ahead. Well, that's on the consideration, certainly. I mean, I have been... Ah, shut up, you quack. Had enough of this guy, too. Everything's under consideration. We're looking very thoroughly how we can violate individual liberty, state authority, uh, police powers. I'll be right back. The Attorney General of Arizona has already filed what I've read to be a very substantive and solid uh, lawsuit against the Biden administration, against the government, the federal government for these mandates. And I wanted him to come on and explain it. Attorney General Mark Burnovich, how are you, sir? Very good, Mark. Thank you for having me on again. My pleasure. Tell us what you've done. Uh, Basically, we filed a lawsuit today, the first against the Biden administration's unconstitutional COVID vaccine mandates. As you know, Mark, the Biden administration has issued an executive order, and they have said they're going to propose some rules regarding mandating vaccines for that will affect probably more than 100 million Americans. So we want to do everything we can to push back. So we filed a lawsuit today saying that this mandate is inconsistent with the Constitution. It violates the Tenth Amendment. It violates traditional principles of federalism. And as you know, you've talked about in your books and on your show, the federal government has enumerated powers. It's supposed to be limited, especially the executive. And so the Biden, what the Biden administration is doing is inconsistent with the Constitution. And furthermore, as a result of them systematically, in a perverse irony, saying that if you're here illegally, if you illegally cross the border of the United States, you don't have to get the vaccine, but yet American citizens are going to be required to get the vaccine. So clearly that's a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. So we think that what they are doing on its face is unconstitutional, and we shouldn't have to wait for a bunch of rules to come out that may affect businesses and impact people's livelihoods before acting. That is a very strong point, the latter point in particular. To me, that is tor- torpedo on the side of this, uh, in this uh, federal Titanic. It really is, because um, if this is, as you say, an emergency, why are you imposing these draconian decisions even apart from the Tenth Amendment and so forth, on the American citizenry, and only certain American citizens, depending on where and who they work for, and yet illegal aliens and others who come across the border, you've effectively said you're not going to test them. How does that make any sense? 
Well, it doesn't make any sense. And one of the things that I've talked about, Mark, is that any cons- any discussion about COVID has to begin with what's going on on our border, where you have more than 2 million people that are going to legally cross this year. It's like the entire state of Delaware coming over. And yet the Biden administration is doesn't care whether they have COVID or not. They're cramping them into small areas. They're putting them up in hotels in Scottsdale, Arizona. They're giving them flights all over the country so they don't seem to care at all and yet they allow them they allow them that uh, the the people that have entered illegally that that aren't even citizens they protect them and their rights but they're not protecting the rights of american citizens the hard-working taxpayers and so it's just absurd on its face and as you know the Constitution clearly says that the powers not delegated to the U.S. by the Constitution um, are reserved to the states. And so we have to start with that premise. We know that the federal government is supposed to be a limited government in the executive. The executive branch is supposed to execute the laws, not unilaterally create laws. And that's what they are doing. And they're doing it in a way that clearly violates the Equal Protection Clause. So whether you're a liberal, Republican, Democrat, or Republican, if you are intellectually honest, you have to say what the Biden administration is doing is unconstitutional good luck good luck with that general (laughs) if you're if you're a liberal democrat you're not going to but let me let me ask let me make another point to you and it's this we see a lot of carve-outs here you've pointed out the carve-out for legal aliens unless this has changed the employees of the united states postal service don't fall under the mandate he met with union bosses to try and uh, discuss with them the mandate and so forth and so on the politics that devours the science in so many respects here uh, seems to me, if you ever get to oral argument and that sort of thing, seems to me is uh, quite pronounced, is it not? Absolutely. And as we discovered in the discovery in one of our lawsuits against the Biden administration's uh, not enforcing existing federal law over their interim guidance on not deporting people that were here illegally, and during that course of that, we found, you know, we interviewed officials, ICE officials, and they knew what they were doing. We were endangering our community. So if we can get to discovery and we can find out what's really going on, and even during the course of that litigation, we found out that, that political pressure was put on the White House, and that's why they had carve-outs as to who would be deported and who wouldn't. And if you look, this is how arrogant the left is, Mark. If you look at the statements from the chief of staff and what the president's own folks and spokespeople are saying, they literally are talking about the quote-unquote ultimate workaround. So they know what they're doing is inconsistent with the Constitution, and they don't care because it's the ultimate arrogance and it's the ultimate hubris. And that's why it's so dangerous when you have this concentration of power in D.C. because if you're one of the favored classes, if you're one of the postal unions, if you're one of these favored groups, there's one set of rules for you and there's one set of rules for people, the hardworking taxpayers. And it's just not right. And that's why I said that earlier about joining together because really we all need to fight this because once you see this kind of arbitrary power to D.C. or that the president can act like King George and do whatever he wants, we're never going to get it back as the people. And that's why you got to fight these battles now and as you said, this is just the four, first torpedo in the water. There will be other lawsuits, especially if they actually try to promulgate any of these rules. And, and uh, Attorney General, it's, it's always believed for some reason that the acts of centralized government are so noble and so reasoned. Um, and I'm sure you've looked at the U.S. Supreme Court, the history. You have the Jacobson case. But you have a subsequent case about 20 years later where the court ruled that the forced sterilization of what they called idiot women... Uh, was, in fact, a power that the federal government could exercise. And they sterilized 60 or so thousand women against their will or without their consent. Uh, 
And so we have a court, and we could talk about Plessy, we could talk about all kinds of decisions that have come out of the Supreme Court, some good, some bad, some irrelevant. And, and the idea that we would continue to support the centralization of this kind of power because we believe the central government is so noble defies the facts, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, you refer to the Jacobson case, and let's not forget that that was a case involving the scope of police power of a state. Mm-hmm. I think even 100 years ago, or the framers of our Constitution understood that the federal government does not exercise police powers when it comes to public health, safety, welfare. Those were issues that were supposed to be left to the states. The, obviously, if you read Federalist 45, 51, they understood that. And furthermore, you, to do the Justice Holmes' famous you know, opinion in the sterilization case about mm-hmm. I think he said three generations are enough. Uh, you know, that, that's the problem that the left, the progressives, don't understand. They believe that there's these enlightened people that can tell us how to live our lives, and if only the experts, right, the experts are in charge, that everything will be fine. It's, it's kind of that Marxist notion that if only you get the right people in charge, uh, that's how society uh, flourishes. And it's fundamentally wrong, but it's also unconstitutional. And the genius of our framers was they understood that there's a, a need to have these checks and balances, not only amongst the executive, legislative, and judicial branches, but also the states for the ultimate check. And we need to zealously guard our authority as states. We need to uphold federalism. And quite frankly, uh, what Biden is doing is dumb, and 50, all 50 states should agree. And of course they won't. Now, I don't know what your plans are. Do you have a few minutes to wait after the break? I have a few more sure. questions for you. Sure. Absolutely. All right, I'm on with the really outstanding Attorney General of Arizona, Attorney General Brnovich, who I've endorsed in the Republican primary for the United States Senate as well. And uh, my question when I come back is this. You really highlighted or crystallized a very important point. You know, the president has a lot of authority when it comes to immigration and securing the border. He has no authority to do what he's doing with small businesses or large businesses. And yet when it comes to his actual authority on immigration, that's where he decides to take a pass, where he doesn't seek to enforce the vaccine. We'll explore that further with the Attorney General of Arizona. I'll be right back. Plastic Conservative Fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. I'm talking to Attorney General Mark Brnovich, who uh, has brought the first case challenging the Biden mandates. And uh, I don't believe a president of the United States has ever done this before. Has he, General? Has one? You know, I think that what the Biden administration is doing, frankly, is unprecedented. I can't think of any other instance where you've had this kind of overreach. And, you know, I know you know this stuff very well, Mark, but in the Obamacare case, one of the arguments was made during that case as well, under the Commerce Clause Authority, can Congress pass this law? And even Justice Roberts said, nah, this Commerce Clause stuff's going too far. They don't have that kind of authority. And that's why he used that pretzel logic and saved it by using the tax provisions. So I think that the notion that 
that even Congress can't pass a law requiring you to buy insurance. So how is it that the executive, without any legislative approval or authority, can require you to inject something in your body against your will? I mean, it really is crazy when you think about it in that terms. Take it out of, you know, all the stuff that the debates about COVID and the science and else, but just this notion that the federal government, the, the Department of Justice, whoever it is, is going to literally destroy you if you don't inject something in your body is just really a radical notion that undermines not only traditional notions of federalism, but this notion that government is here designed to protect our rights, not infringe on our individual liberty. It really is radical. And yet the media are all in with this guy. It's unbelievable. The media just do not believe in liberty, and they don't believe in reasonableness or a balance. If it comes on from on high, from Fauci or the massive bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., they're all in. I'll give you an example. There was a reporter from the New York Times that was on MSNBC, and she said she's spoken to legal experts anonymously, so we don't get to know who they are, of course. And she says that they've all said the administration is a very, very strong case, and they said especially with OSHA, because, you know, OSHA is an example, she says. If there's a toxin in a, in a workplace, OSHA has the power to make sure people don't get sick from that toxin. Well, if you have people who are not vaccinated, who may be carrying the virus, government has a right not to, to ensure that those people won't make you sick. And right off the top of my head, General, I thought to myself, no, wait a minute. What kind of comparison is it? If there's a toxin in the workplace, obviously the owner of the workplace has to remove the toxin. He doesn't start sticking needles in everybody's arms, does he, or fire them if they don't accept them? Well, well, I think that's part of the problem the Biden administration is going to have once they promulgate rules is really these are going to be capricious and arbitrary. And, and I, I hate to even say this, Mark, but, you know, this line where they drew it at 100 employees, well, why 100 if you really care about yep. public health? So I think that eventually what is going to happen is they're going to mandate this for everyone. If you get any sort of government benefit, and this, of course, is the fundamental problem when the government gets so too big when it has its fingers in education, health care, all these other issues, it then has that power because it controls you economically and financially and then they can mandate these things. And that's why we have to push back and restore the constitutional order. And it is, I, I, I guess, the second thing to kind of preview where this is going next. I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of jurisprudence. You mentioned these terrible cases in the past, you know, Korematsu, Plessy, uh, you know, where the court got it wrong. I, I will tell you what, at some point we need to litigate with the constitutionality of these certain OSHA requirements, and has there been an unconstitutional delegation mm. of Congress of legislative authority to agencies like OSHA? You know, you have these federal agencies now that are run amok, and it's about time we check that. And so, you know, there's a lot of lawsuits I'm involved in, you know, on the border. We have that mm -hmm. lawsuit against Yellen where we sued the Biden administration over the, the COVID bill that says states can't cut taxes, which, you know, once again, is clearly contrary to the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. So there are, there are a lot of issues we need to be vigilant about pushing back against the federal government. And you know, Mark, the reason why I'm running for the U.S. Senate, besides being an AG, is because my job is to go to D.C. and not make Washington, D.C. more efficient. It's to make it smaller. We need to start dramatically reducing the size and scope of the federal government in our lives, not trying to make it better, more efficient. That's what the left does. That's what, uh, you know, folks that are trying to, you know, feed the alligator and hope he eats you last do. Well, let me tell you something. You've been bringing very, very important lawsuits. I hope some of the other states will follow suit. I suspect they will. Um, and, you know, the governor of Nebraska mentioned that uh, they have these weekly discussions with the uh, White House and the governors. And the only guy who's never present is Joe Biden. 
He's never <laughs> present. So he go, he lashes out against these governors, and he doesn't even talk to them. Well, his earpiece probably doesn't work on the phone. He gets that yeah, static, you know, exactly. Mark. So it's it's tough to, you know, when the, the folks that are speaking his earpiece when he's on the phone, so that's <laughs> probably why. But uh, I'll tell you what, look, you know, folks can always go to Mark B for AZ.com. You know, we had to change that a little bit because uh, Hannity thought Berno for AZ was too common. Well, you've got a lot of consonants in your name. Yeah, well, you know, we couldn't afford vowels when we immigrated to the country. You know, right. that's the way it goes. So B-R-N-O-F-O-R-A-Z.com is, is the website if people want to find out more about what I'm doing. Need all the help I can get. All right. Well, we, we wish you all the best, sir, and we'll have you back for short. Take care of yourself. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Mark. All right. God bless. He is uh, He's quite good. And he is, you know, you can't just put your political views or speeches in a brief and file them in federal court. You've got to make serious, substantive, constitutional arguments. You have to look at the precedent if you're going to overcome, you know, a challenge to the federal government. You've got to, you've got to make a very, very strong case. He files lawsuits like that. Very, very strong lawsuits. And this is one of them. I'm going to be on Hannity tonight again, uh, 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope you'll join us there. I think I'm going to take on this whole issue of Millie, this book, Peril, Woodward and Costa, and all the issues that are involved there. Um, uh, So uh, I understand he's going to have a lot of discussion about Afghanistan, and Larry Elder is going to appear. It's going to be a hell of a show, that's for sure. So I hope you'll join us. And um, I think Millie's unhinged. I think the man's unhinged. And I think what you see what he did in Afghanistan is unbelievable. There's a number of things that intersect here. How can you have two Washington Post journalists, so-called, who sit on information about an unhinged head of the Joint Chiefs for months and months and months, and the consequences you saw, Afghanistan. Now we have citizens behind enemy lines. And this guy, Milley, for all intents and purposes, he's the head of the military. He's not the commander-in-chief, but he's the head of the military. He's the head of the Joint Chiefs. Everybody reports through him. That's pretty frightening. I look at Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution. I don't say this to be provocative. I wish I didn't have to say it at all. Treason against the United States shall consist only in living war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. Giving our enemies aid and comfort? When you go around the commander-in-chief, the president, and you talk to the communist Chinese regime, Twice, he even reportedly tells the communists that he would alert the communist regime if we're going to attack them. Well, what is that? That is shocking to me. That's shocking to me. What also is shocking to me is that Woodward and Costa would sit on this. Because they know this guy, if their reporting is accurate, is unhinged. They know what he did is unprecedented in American history. Going around the back of the President of the United States, the elected Commander-in-Chief, because he's worried that Trump might use nukes, which is so preposterous. What's the evidence for that? Might use nukes against Communist China? On the way out the door? This guy, I think, my opinion, based on this, is unbalanced. And to have two reporters sit on this until a book comes out on September 21st? 
and during the course of them sitting on their book, we had this Millie involved in major decisions, including Afghanistan, in which we now have American citizens behind enemy lines, green card Americans who are on the way to citizenship by the thousands behind enemy lines, Afghan allies and patriots being hunted down and murdered. Well, Millie thinks this was a great military operation. Why wasn't this reported in the Washington Post? And then we have this line. The authors say it's based on interviews with more than 200 people conducted on the condition they not be named as sources. So we don't even know if this is fiction or nonfiction. So what are we to think as a public? What are we to think? If this is important enough, why wouldn't these people want to be named? 200 people? So you see these reporters, in my view, are utterly unethical. In my opinion, you have Millie, who comes about as close to treason as I think anyone can. And then you have 200 anonymous sources. Sources that don't want to be named. So you and I can't determine if this is fiction or nonfiction. Meanwhile, look what's going on in the world right now. Our enemies are on the rise. The border is wide open. The Democrats want to destroy our republic. The unions are destroying our classrooms. Is this a shiny object? What's going to be done about this? Just a cheap shot against Trump? You know, there have been five books now. By October, the first week in October, five books trashing Trump. Five. Can't put them out fast enough. I have serious questions about this. I'll be right back. in. The more troubling it is on so many levels that two Washington Post journalists would sit on information, if true, that the head of the Joint Chiefs is dangerous, unhinged, and he undertook unconstitutional acts, if it's true, that he wants to assure General Lee, quote, you and I have known each other for now five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. Are you not shocked by that line, Mr. Bidouze? It's not going to be a surprise? First of all, Trump wasn't planning on attacking China. He's one of the least hawkish presidents we've had in modern times. But this is incredible stuff. And then you, you turn the page and you get this. Peril, the authors say, is based on interviews with more than 200 people conducted on the condition they not be named as sources. They use 200 unnamed sources. Who writes a book like this? 200, Woodward, of course. 
unnamed sources. 200 unnamed sources. So not one of them had guts to speak out and have their name attached to this? Well, don't worry. We have the recordings and the... Well, so what? We, the people, have nothing. Nothing. Milley also summoned senior officers to review the procedures for launching nuclear weapons, saying the president alone could give the order, but critically that he, Milley, also had to be involved. Looking each in the eye, Milley asked the officers to affirm that they had understood the author's right in what he considered an oath. That is, that they would have to let him know. Unbelievable. Chairman Nui was pulling a Schlesinger, the office, right? Resorting to measures resembling the ones taken in August 74 by James Schlesinger, Secretary of Defense, told military officials to check with him and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs before carrying out orders from Nixon, who was facing impeachment at the time. Now that was bad enough. But Milley wasn't talking to any cabinet secretary. Milley was doing this on his own. On his own. Unbelievable. This is something that's very, very serious, if true. And if not true, another black mark on American journalism. But here's my problem. I want to underscore this. These so-called reporters knew this for months and months. And they sat on this. And it takes at least three months to produce a book, sometimes two and a half, if it's exceptionally quick. I am not a journalist. I don't write books that sit on information like this. They apparently do. Why wouldn't you provide that information to the public as a reporter, rather than waiting for your payday from a publisher? If this is so shocking, if this is accurate... Do you see what I'm saying, Mr. Producer? You literally sit on this? You sit on it? And so Milley retains his position? And screws up Afghanistan? Carries out the orders of, of this commander-in-chief, I guess? Serious questions about journalistic ethics and morality. Very serious questions at the Washington Post. Very serious questions about what Milley was doing. He seized power he didn't have under the Constitution to conduct foreign and national security policy. That's absolutely astonishing. We don't have military leave. We respect the distinction between civilian and military in so many ways in this country. And what is the basis for thinking that Trump's going to launch nukes against China? There is no basis. None whatsoever. What's shocking here is the corrupt media and the unhinged Millie. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello America, Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Is the book Peril, fiction or nonfiction? Why would two Washington Post journalists sit on explosive information for month after month about the head of the Joint Chiefs, knowing full well his conduct, if this is true, was dangerous, unhinged, and unconstitutional. They're now going to make millions off this book by sitting on this information rather than reporting it in real time. Millie, according to this article in the Washington Post, that's their employer. He made two calls to his Chinese counterpart. In book's account, he went so far in the second call... In the first cause, to pledge that he would alert his counterpart in the event of a U.S. attack, stressing the rapport they'd established through a back channel. General Lee, you and I have known each other for now five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. So he would call the communist Chinese regime ahead of time if American troops were going to attack China? No, is that not treason, Mr. Producer? If it's true. Believing that China could lash out if it felt at risk from an unpredictable and vengeful American president, Milley took action. The same day he called the Admiral overseeing the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, the military unit responsible for Asia and Pacific region, recommended postponing the military exercises. Milley summoned senior officers to review the procedures for launching nuclear weapons, saying the president alone could give the order, but, criti- but crucially that he, Millie, also had to be involved. Looking in each of their eyes, Millie asked the officers to affirm that they had understood the author's right and what he considered an oath. In other words, they reported to him. Not really Millie, and not really uh, Trump. Though Millie went furtherest in seeking to stave off a national security crisis. His alarm was shared <coughs> excuse me, let me make sure I read this correctly. His alarm was shared with the highest ranks of the administration, the authors reveal. CIA Director Gina Haspel, for instance, reportedly told Milley, we are on the way to a right-wing coup. So you can't even challenge an election. Like the Democrats do every election. But the reason I say, if true... There's this paragraph. Peril, the author, says, based on interviews with more than 200 people conducted on the condition they not be named as sources. This guy, Milley, also went around Trump to speak to Pelosi, went around Trump to speak to Schumer. So he repeatedly attempted to undermine this president. Remember the Lafayette Park issue? I suspect he's a leaker. I don't know all the details. I suspect he is. He's a CYA artist. I suspect that as well. So we don't know whether the book is true or false. We know the reporter sat on this information for months, if it's true, in order to make several millions of dollars in a book, rather than reporting it in the Washington Post. And the Washington Post obviously went along with it. And here we have, they sat on this information while Millie was head of the Joint Chiefs, 
overseeing the operations in Afghanistan. And the American people should be appalled by this. Now, a couple of weeks ago when I appeared on Hannity's show, I took out a a photo, a portrait I have, a signed portrait of uh, George S. Patton. I said, Millie's no Patton. Trust me on this. Millie's no Patton. Now the Democrats will think this is great. The media are already defending this. Because the media and the Democrats are power-hungry and they are perverse. And the fact that Millie would conduct himself in what I would argue is an illegal and unconstitutional manner is of no consequence to them because they do that all the time. That's not a big deal to them, obviously. Not a big deal to them. How much talking did Millie do to these reporters, if any? How much trust do the American people have now in Millie? How much trust do members of Congress have in Millie? I had none before. Did you? I don't think so. To have secret conversations with the communist Chinese, our enemy, to go around the back of the commander-in-chief, because you're the one who's unhinged, not the commander-in-chief. And to have the backing of the CIA director, that comes as close to a coup as, as one can imagine. Does it not? It certainly comes as close to treason as I can think of. The head of the Joint Chiefs? He also is an apologist for the Taliban. Have you noticed that? In my opinion, he definitely is. Now, you know that Pelosi and Schumer are not going to do anything about this because, well, he conspired with them. He conspired with them. And to this point, I don't know exactly what they discussed. What did he discuss with Pelosi and Schumer? This is really quite shocking. And if the book is not true, how are we ever going to know if it's true or not? As a matter of fact. How are we going to know? Woodward and Cost aren't going to come clean. They got 200 unnamed sources. It's, a, I think, an important question. How and when we're going to know, if ever. But this should concern all of you. That two reporters would sit on this, if true. That in fact this occurred, if true. He should resign. But he's another stubborn fool. With a lot of stars on his shoulders. With a lot of stars on his shoulders. Meanwhile, while we contemplate that, contemplate this. This is from CNBC. Top-earning New Yorkers could face 61.2% combined tax rate under House plan. Californians may pay 
uh, face 59% rate. The proposals include a 3% surtax on taxpayers earning more than $5 million a year. They would also raise the top marginal income tax rate to 39.6%. So for those who earn more than $5 million, their top rate will be 46.4% federal income tax. Almost half of everything they earn will go to the federal government to be redistributed to somebody else. Is that fair? Whether you're earning $5 million or $50 million or $5 billion, that the government's going to take nearly half of it? And that's before you get to the states and the localities. Top earners in New York City could face a combined city, state, and federal income tax rate of 61.2%. Is this a free country? But the government can do that to anybody? This 3% surcharge on taxpayers earning more than $5 million? Raising the top marginal income tax rate to 39.6% from 37%. They'll preserve the 3.8% net investment income tax and extend it to certain pass-through companies. The result is a top marginal federal income tax rate of 46.4% for every dollar above the tax bracket income threshold. So in New York City, the combined top marginal state and city tax rate is 14.8%. Boy, that city's dying. It's just dying. Not because of the people. Because of the government. Absolutely shocking. I'm just reading this. Nobody should have to pay income taxes like that. And by the way, they're aiming at you too. All of you who don't earn five million and more. And I've tried to point this out from uh, Americans for Tax Reform. Democrats propose $3 trillion tax hike on working families and small businesses. Raising taxes on working families by increasing the federal corporate income tax rate from 21 to 26.5%. That'll be passed along to working families in the form of higher prices, fewer jobs, lower wages, and the shuttering of businesses. This will give the U.S. a combined state-federal tax rate across the board of 30.9% higher than our foreign competitors. China has 25% corporate tax rate. Europe, an average of 21.7%. We will have 26.5%. So our American corporations will be more highly taxed by our government than any of these socialist regimes in Europe, or the communist regime in China. And I want you to think about that. So corporate tax increase will threaten the life savings of families by reducing the value of publicly traded stocks. Those who have 401ks and IRAs, you're going to see those plummet as well. Raising taxes on small businesses by raising the top income tax rate to 39.6%. Limiting 20% small business deduction, expanding Obamacare net investment, so much more money is going to flow out of small businesses. And so obviously many of them aren't going to survive. And they want a 16.5% global minimum tax. And the Biden administration has been pushing for this too. So even if you want to invest overseas to try to escape this, you're going to get hammered. There's no way out. I'll be right back. in. Mark 
President Trump has responded, issued the following statement, and I will discuss this on Hannity. If the story of dumbass General Mark Milley, the same failed leader who engineered the worst withdrawal from a country, Afghanistan, in U.S. history, leaving behind many dented and wounded soldiers, many American citizens, and $85 billion worth of the newest and most sophisticated military equipment in the world, and our country's reputation, if it's true, then I assume he would be tried for treason, and that he would have been dealing with his Chinese counterpart behind the president's back and telling China that he would be giving him notification of an attack. Can't do that. The good news is the story is fake news concocted by a weak and ineffective general, together with two authors who refuse to give an interview because they write fiction, not fact. Action should be taken immediately against Milley, and better generals in our military, of which we have many, should get involved so that another Afghanistan disaster never happens again. Remember, I was the one who took out 100% of the ISIS caliphate. Milley said it couldn't be done. For the record, I never even thought of attacking China, and China knows that. The people that fabricated the story are sick and demented, and the people who print it are just as bad. In fact, I'm the only president in decades who didn't get the U.S. into a war, a well-known fact that is seldom reported. There's a lot to be said for that. This is the most abused president in American history. I'm telling you, it's true. It's absolutely true. The most abused president in American history. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. How about yourself? Well, I've been doing better, you know. I mean, personally, I'm fine, but the country's gone to hell. And uh, you're an outstanding senator. You see what's swirling around this country right now. Afghanistan, Biden, the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, this guy Milley, who seems to me quite unhinged. A complete disaster. I watched this Secretary of State, uh, Senator Johnson, and I feel that this man is deceiving. This man is, uh, is, is trying to find ways to avoid taking responsibility. What is your take here? Hey, Mark, he's a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you, are, you are exactly right about President Trump. He was the most abused president, I think, in U.S. history. Uh, you know, I, I go back to two weeks in office phone conversations he had with the Prime Minister of Australia and President of Mexico were leaked to the media. You had Colonel Vindman, I think, committing treason, the internal coup at that point in time. So this is just, you know, continuation of what President Trump had to deal with. Who could he trust as President of the United States? I, it, it was amazing he was able to accomplish as much as he did. But... Uh, no, so now, so now, so now, the media installed Biden. The media installed Biden. Social media, uh, Democrats enabled this. The solution, as you point out in your book, the solution is to sweep Democrats from power. We first must awaken to the urgency of the moment. I, I use that phrase in your book all the time with audiences because it's exactly what we as Americans have to do. We have to awaken to what Democrats, liberals, the media, the social media is, are doing to our country, a country we love, a country we know is such a marvel in the, in the span of human history that the Democrats are hell-bent to destroy. That's what's, that's what's happening today. And I'm afraid far too few people in Washington, D.C., in both parties are asleep. They just do not understand the urgency of the moment. 
And you do. And you didn't come to Washington, I don't believe, realizing this. And you see it right now in front of your face. This is something you've lived now and experienced. You've been chasing it. You've been trying to wrestle it to the ground. How is it that all Republicans don't see this? I won't name names and put you in an uncomfortable position. But how is it that so many of them do business as usual, bipartisan agreements and so forth? Don't they get what we're up against? Well, first of all, I ran in 2010 because I was panicked for our nation. Obamacare, we've gone from 10 to $14 trillion in debt. Now we're approaching 30 with Bernie's budget to be 45. Yeah, the, you're the, right. the problem you have is you, you, you just have so very few bureaucrats, congressional staff, members of Congress that have any experience in, knowledge of, or sympathy, sympathy for the private sector. I mean, all, all they know is government. They, they haven't even been part of a functional organization. So this is all they know. This is a very thick bubble here. And so you, you come into this bubble from the outside, and it's just it's shocking. It's just a, what, what are these people thinking? I mean, you, I, I, you, you, cannot, you just cannot describe how frustrating it is when you see what happens here. The complete and utter dysfunction, and it's all taken as normal. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, 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 can't, I can't explain it. I cannot get in the mind of liberals. I can't get in the mind of career politicians who just, I guess, want to be somebody. You know, they, just, they want to be a member of Congress. They want to be a U.S. senator, and that's their primary motivating factor is to just get reelected. I came here because I was panicked for this nation. I, I'm doing everything I possibly can to, to raise the alarm, to help awaken Americans to what is happening to this country that we just so dearly love and that is so precious in the span of human history. Senator, I, I hate to do this to you. If you have to run, I get it. If you don't, can you hold on a short moment and we'll, we'll come back with you? Happy to. All right. It's the great senator from Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, and I mean that. He is a real national gem. I'll be right back. Within the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We have Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Now, Senator Johnson, you're at this hearing today. You questioned the Secretary of State. You think he got anywhere with this guy? Well, he's, he's pretty slick bureaucrat, um, pretty good at deflecting. So all you can really do is make points. I think the, the primary point I was trying to make is how detached from reality he and this administration are, but also, you know, and part of that detachment, they're trying to, you know, put lipstick on this pig, talking about all these flights and 124,000 people, and they start drilling down on it. So about a 705 special immigrant visa holders, you know, a few thousand U.S. citizens. What about the other 110, 115,000 people? Who were they? And what we were hearing from the administration is completely contrary to what we heard from people on the ground. Complete chaos. Tens of thousands of, of uh, Afghans came, flooded into that airport, totally uncontrolled, and we just started putting them on planes. I heard a new term, tail-to-tail evacuation. In other words, they, they talk about this vetting in third countries. No, they flew a plane into a third country, another plane's there, tail goes down, they load them up, and they fly them away. So how, what is the vetting process? They talk about biometric screening you know check them about the databases mark do you think there's an isis terrorist on a biometric screening database 
or an al-Qaeda terrorist. I mean, we're, we're hearing things in, in these intake centers, including uh, Fort McCoy in Wisconsin, about child brides. We're, we're talking about young men who are, you know, integrate themselves in these families, just like you have these fake families coming across our southern border. This is an utter disaster. And this administration then grants them two years parolee status, you know, legal rights, you know, sight unseen. You know, with, I, I can't believe there's proper vetting. You know, the, the secretary talks about a 14-step plan. When I pressed her on that, he said, oh, well, that, that just applies to those special immigrant visa holders. So 705 of the 124,000 people had a 14-step program of vetting. What about the rest? So, no, we didn't learn much from Secretary Oden. He's a slick, slick bureaucrat, and you can't trust any of them. And, of course, they say there's about 100 citizens behind enemy lines. They don't have the foggiest idea how many citizens are behind enemy lines, do they, Senator? No, and they really don't have the foggiest idea who those 100-some thousand Afghans are either. I I really don't think they do. Now, listen, I I completely agree with Afghanistan veterans who are so passionate about Mm -hmm. helping those Afghans that save their lives out of there safely, okay, yes. and safe and, and successfully integrate into our society. But I don't think that's necessarily who got on those planes. And I, don't, I do not trust this administration, not for a second, to properly vet the people. It's just going to – it's a numbers game. Just crank them through, claim you – know, look at what a successful operation this was. 124,000 people. You know, unbelievable. Yeah, it is unbelievable. What do you make of this General Milley? Are you familiar with him at all, other than, you know, media? Have you had him before any of your committees before? No, I'm not on armed services. I've been in the Situation Room a couple times with him. He, he, he looks scary. Mm-hmm. He looks like a serious character. But if, if this is true, this, this is just jaw-dropping. I, I, I think what President Trump said in the statement is, is pretty accurate. Um, but again, mm-hmm. it's, it's just the latest example of what President Trump had to deal with. I mean, I, 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 during the administration, you know, again, I'm trying to do all these investigations, subpoenaing Christopher Ray. The president wants this stuff declassified. We couldn't get it out of the deep state. I mean, this is a deep state, and it was doing everything it could to frustrate what President Trump was doing. But I felt sorry for President Trump. I, who could he trust? Mm-hmm. I mean, who could he trust in the administration? They really were out to get him, weren't they? It's obvious. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, look what Cur- Colonel Vindman did. With Sean Misko and, and, and Eric, okay? I mean, that, that was an internal coup. What, what else can you call that? And, and mm-hmm. you know, engineered by uh, old Adam Shifty, Schiff. No, th- this is outrageous. But, of course, the Democrats own the media. They own the social media. And it's okay if you can foment a coup against a Republican president. Uh, it's okay if you can cover up the border crisis the out-of-control debt-invested spending. Now, look at what they're going to do in taxes. I remember my first speech I ever gave, when I used to write them down, I referred to Ronald Reagan. Unbelievable that he got tax rates down to 28%. And I said, for a brief moment of time, we were 72% free. It's a direct relationship. And now now we're talking about tax rates, again, rising above 50%. So you're, what, 40% free, 39% free? As government grows, our freedoms recede. And that's what Democrats are all about, is growing government and taking away our freedom. When will Americans wake up to that reality? And do you think we're going to be able to block this monstrosity? Honest to God, Senator, I think Manchin will 
will declare victory if they cut a trillion or so out of this and sort of move the chess pieces around a little bit and then likely vote for this thing. And same with cinema. What do you think? Well, my fingers are crossed, but, I, you know, my cynical attitude toward this is because we've already seen how they've scored this at three point five trillion. Because what they've done is that they've laid in new entitlements, but they're not having them run for the full 10-year period. But we all know, as Ronald Reagan said, you know, the closest thing to eternal life in our lifetimes is government program. So, so my guess is the game they'll play here is you know, entitlements will just scale back to maybe only one year to get a good score. And by the way, the, the $3.5 million, it's really $5.5 million, but trillion, yeah. in terms of spending, you've got a tr- trillion. In terms of spending, you have to add the tax increase. So a $3 trillion tax increase plus Five and a half trillion dollars. That's eight and a half trillion dollars worth of spending. I mean, if that is 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 that not jaw dropping? Yes. So eight thousand billion dollars. And again, what we'll do is they'll drop these bills on the floor of the Senate, and within a day or two, we'll be voting on them. And the American people will have no say because these massive bills are intended to get around the opposition party, you guys, as well as us, the people. Oh, absolutely, because as soon as it's passed, it's old news. Are we talking about the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package? $700 billion is not even spent until 2022 and beyond? Of course not. So once this stuff is passed, it's forgotten. The press won't bring it up. The press isn't talking about $29 trillion in debt, $45 trillion in 10 years. I mean, this is unsustainable. This is going to destroy this country and very few people are talking about it. Very few people are even concerned about it. We're just whistling by the graveyard. And this is really the child abuse and the abuse of future generations. This is wealth that hasn't even been created yet. And these, and these, no, what, we are, you know. what, what we are, what we are doing to our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren, th- this is shameful. It is, it is mortgaging our children's future. As John McCain said, it's intergenerational theft. That's exactly what mm-hmm. it is. It should stop. But it's not going to. Well, Senator Ron Johnson, have you decided whether you're going to run yet? I'm not trying to press you. I just would like to know. No, I, I haven't. But I, I will say, Mark, as I've traveled around Wisconsin, I'm getting an awful lot of encouragement. I, well, I you got say. it from us here uh, on the Levin Show. and uh, I appreciate that. Why don't you say what Trump says? I think a lot of people are going to be very happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I, trust me, both me and my wife understand the urgency of the moment. Yes. We do. We understand that. But we got, I, got, I got time to decide. Can I, I will say, if you want to help provide encouragement, ronjohnsonforsenate.com. Uh, that money will be used to help make sure that this Senate seat stays in Republican hands, whether I decide to run or not. And who would be the leading Democrat that's interested in taking this seat? Do we know? Well, kind of the good news is that they've got a, about eight to ten of them already, and we have a very late primary. Mm-hmm. So it, it does it does provide some advantages to the incumbent, and I'm mindful of that as well. So they're going to have a big fight in their hands. It won't be settled till August of 2022. And uh, so the good news is it's kind of a mess on the Democrat side. All right, Senator Johnson. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you. Have a great day, and keep up the great work, Mark. All right, you too. God bless. He loves the book, American Marxism. He really does. He's told me that too. And by the way, he's actually purchased the audio. He listens to the audio. But I just wish more senators would read it. They've all received a copy from the publisher. All of them. He's the only one I've heard from. That's a little frightening. Don't you think, Mr. Producer? 
I want to remind you, I will be on Hannity tonight, 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. He's going to have a hell of a show tonight with Ted Cruz and Rubio and Larry Elder and me and some others. So you won't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Lovin. So we have the head of the Joint Chiefs working with the heads of the Democrat Party and the Communist Chinese against the President of the United States. That's how I would sum it up. And if this is true, the reporters sat on this for months so they could make a buck. And they allowed this incompetent to assist in screwing up Afghanistan, the greatest national security failure since the end of World War II. Again, I'll be on Hannity at 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. I think you'll want to watch. Let me jump in. Florence, Seattle, Washington, the great KTTH. Florence, how are you? Oh, Mark, um, Dr. Levin, um, it's always a great honor to speak with you. Thank and, you, you know, I have to tell you, I, 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 in my rarely-to-be-humble opinion, I believe we are watching and have been for the last eight, nine months, we are watching the attempted Marxist takeover of the United States government. And that is something I am saying exactly like that to everyone I meet. And I'd like to invite your wonderful audience to keep an eye on what's going on in Seattle, because if they want to have a ringside seat of what a city looks like that's been taken over by a city council that is dominated and controlled by Marxists, Seattle is it. And these are Marxists who are elected as Democrats, correct? Democrats and Democratic Socialists and Progressives, oh, they love that word, Progressive. Mm -hmm. But what happened last evening, there was a vote seven to two. One of the two who is a, there there are, the seven are not all Marxists, but there are two or three who are outspokenly so, Mm -hmm. and way to the left, off the charts left, Marxists. And we're going to have to go soon, yep. They, they dominate. Okay. They absolutely dominate. And without going into what happened last night, I want to tell you, I've ordered 880. I have in my possession 80 You've ordered wonderful what? books. 80. They're pure gold. 80? Your book. 80. And the reason I got 80 is one for every blessed year I have lived in this remarkable land of You're unbelievable. Florence, and, and I, I'll tell you. Sometime I will call yeah. in and tell you where they are going and how they are going there, because so many of us older yeah. folks have so much we can do. If it isn't enough motivation to yeah. know all the things we know at this point, be aware of what they're telling us about Social yeah. Security. And it's not all right, be- Florence, definitely call us, call us later in the week or next week, okay, because we're near the end of the show. Uh, that's a lot of books. Uh, I just want to thank you for doing that. That's uh, really extraordinary. And we're going to send you a signed copy, so you at least have that, of American Marxism. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, this book, uh, what's it called again? I can't remember the name of their book. The Woodward and Bernstein book? Peril? I mean, really, folks, we have to focus on what's important in this country. Now, I'm going to give this book a lashing like I did here on Fox. But to pay these journalists to become wealthy, 
because they sat on, if it's true, if a news story that we had a right to know, given the nature of this General Milley and what they wound up doing in Afghanistan is, <coughs> excuse me, is shameless. And they did it for a buck. Their reporters are supposed to report what they know in real time, not to sit back on a book. Really disgusting. Let's go to Wally quickly. Tucson, Arizona, the great KNST. Wally, go right ahead, please. Hi, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. I just watching the news, and I'm, I'm hearing about this General Milley. Now, I was in the Marine Corps for three years. If something like that would have happened to me in the 50s, I would have been in prison for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's where this guy belongs. All right, my friend. I appreciate your call. Unbelievable. Really unbelievable. Jennifer, Gardnerville, Nevada, XM Satellite, quickly, please, go right ahead. Make sure that gentleman gets a signed book. Yeah. Hi. All all I wanted to say is that these people are so thirsty, they will drink any poison just to get ahead. They're disgusting, vile pigs, and they all need to be put down. They're horrible. Well, they're not going to be put down, but uh, um, I appreciate your call. Thank you. Amazing. Let's see. Let us go to Brian, Helena, Montana, XM Satellite. How are you? I'm good, Mark. It's a pleasure listening to you every night on the way home from work. Thank you. I just got a couple of quick things. As a U.S. taxpayer, as many of us are, shouldn't we be upset by the fact they've left billions and billions of dollars worth of equipment in Afghanistan? And us as taxpayers, we're the ones paying that bill. Let me tell you something. Of course you should be upset. And you should also be upset that the so-called $1.9 trillion emergency virus spending uh, budget, uh, $400 billion of that, uh, they can't track. It went to fraud. They just keep blowing our money left and right, and you ain't seen nothing yet unless we stop them in the next two weeks. Absolutely critical. Thank you for your call. Dan, rock... Hold on, let's get the man a signed book, please. Dan, Rockport, Illinois, XM Satellite, quickly, go right ahead. Yes, Mark, I just wanted to change my comment from what was original. Um, just with that whole thing about Trump and the nuke and blowing up China and all this other stuff, I remember after he was... Uh, elected, let's take Dan's phone number, please. I didn't watch the clock properly. Please take Dan's phone number. We'll call him tomorrow. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Folks, I hope you'll go to Amazon.com and get your copy of American Marxism now more than ever. Or if you're any of the retail stores, you can grab it there. But we really need to spread the word. I'll see you on Hannity in 30 minutes. God bless.